from Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Well, it's about time, Paul. I began to think you got yourself another boy. Never thank the company has taken on a couple of staff investigators. Why, the dirty so-and-so. But I managed to convince the press to give you a handle this one. Which one? Protection for one of our clients, Johnny. His name is John R. Welton. Oh, I get it. When there's a chance of somebody getting hurt, you don't want your own men to take any chances. Okay, I'll tell Randy Singer it's no go. Sergeant Randy Singer? Oh, he's a lieutenant now. 18th Precinct Homicide down in New York? That's right. Now, Singer has told us that if we send you down there, you'll cooperate. He said anyone else, no. Hmm. And a, uh, another thing. What's that? There'll be a nice fee in addition to your expense account. You managed to keep this man Wilson alive. Oh, how much? $2,000. $2,000. $2,000, John. Well? Well, it's been a long time since I've seen Randy Singer. Maybe I ought to run down there and say hello. Hello. <laughs> Exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yes, truly. Johnny Dalton. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Continental Insurance and Trust Company Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the wayward killer matter. Expense account item 1627, fare to New York and taxi from Grand Central Station to 18th Precinct Headquarters in East 40. My old pal, Sergeant Randy Singer, uh, Lieutenant Randy Singer, pulled a long face. Uh-oh, now I know my luck has run out. Hi, Randy. Now, what are you beefing about this time? Eh, you might as well sit down, I guess. Okay, sure. Well, if these insurance companies of yours leave us alone, let us handle things our own way. What do you mean? Well, the minute one of their clients gets into a jam, they send somebody like you down to pester it. Johnny, there isn't a thing you can do about this man, Welton. The company said something about his life being in danger. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Well, is it true? Yeah, I got it. Why should his life be in danger? I don't think it should. Okay, okay. Why does he think his life is in danger? Because he was a witness to a shooting, a murder. Oh? Where? When? You remember reading about the bookie who was killed last week over in an alley off of First Avenue? No, know anything about bookies? Like All murder. right, now, did you read about it or didn't? Yeah, I read about it. Don't tell me a whole week is gone by and you haven't found a killer. We haven't found him. Even with a witness for the crime, this John Welton... Oh, Randy, you're slipping. Except for the description Mr. Welton gave us, we haven't a single solitary thing to go on. No fingerprints, no... No no clues of any kind. The weapon? 38 special, make unknown. The same one, apparently, that was used to slug Mr. Welton. Just what happened, Randy? Well, it was Tuesday night, it was last week, that is. Yeah? Late, about 2 a.m. Welton was taking his dog for a walk before going to bed. And? He passed this particular alley, saw these two men struggling. Heard a shot, so did his dog. Pooch let out a yelp, galloped around in circles, tied up his legs in the leash, and down he went. The dog or Welton? Welton, and don't be funny. Okay, go on. Then the killer came running out of the alley and stumbled over Welton. Welton got a good look at him in the streetlight. Dog pulled a hunk out of the killer's pants, 
Billy smashed Welton on the head and took off. The dog kept yowling until a patrolman came around and found him there and found the bookie in the alley, dead. And? All I want to know is what you think you can do about it. No clues, huh? Except Welton's description. Did you give him a look at the mug book? Yeah, yeah, he came up with nothing. You find a gun? No, ballistics said it was a thirty-eight that did the job. Tried looking in the storm drains around there. Yeah, not yet. Look, why does Welton feel he's in danger? Because some fool reporter wrote it up in Sunday's paper that Welton not only saw the killer, you see, he'd been trying to keep that quiet, but that he could positively identify him. And when Welton tied that up with the fact that the victim was a bookie. Yeah, I see. That means the possibility of a connection with a syndicate. Or if he didn't play ball with the syndicate, they decided to knock him off. Well, now, Johnny, uh, we don't like to admit that there might be a syndicate in operation anymore. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. the town's absolutely clean. Well, now, oh, uh, sure. I didn't say... All your handsome ways in uniform have to do is march in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, be uh, on hand to welcome important foreign dignitaries, yeah, uh, or snitch apples off the fruit stands over on 10th Avenue. Johnny... The fact remains that I think Welton's right. Bookmaking is a racket. Rackets mean racketeers. And as a mobster who killed that book, he was smart enough to leave you no clues. He's smart enough to shut the mouth of anybody who might be able to identify him permanently. But he got a guard on Welton. Well, he's after one, and I've arranged for... What does he look? Over on 53rd. That's Tim Conroy, the man I'm going to send over there. I just reported in. Then tell Conroy I'm going over there with him. But, Johnny, what for? What can you possibly do that we haven't done? Well, look, Andy, I'm getting such a nice, big, fat fee on this. I have to at least look like I'm earning it. Sure. Oh, Conroy, come in, come in. Who knows, Randall? Maybe I'll even solve a murder. Conroy, get this wise guy out of here, will you? Mr. Dollar, nice to see you again. Hi, Conroy. Yeah, your dear old pal, Johnny Dollar. Now, take him with you. Take him anywhere, but get him out of here. Yes, sir. <laughs> You'll be sorry you're being nasty to me, Randy. Johnny, so help me. Yeah, it was pretty obvious Randy hadn't gotten anywhere on the case. And believe it or not, that he was glad I'd come along. But my job was solely to protect Mr. Welton. So in Conroy's trial car, we drove over to the little apartment building in East 53rd. Drove over to find a crowd milling about in front of the place. A crowd that included a couple of New York clients. Hello, Johnny. Something's happened to you. Yeah, and I started to think what it might be. Wilson! in a moment. Here is a message from the National Heart Institute of the Public Health Service. It looks like an electronic control board panel banked with meters and switches. It is knee-high and six feet in length, surmounted by what appears to be a cylindrical coil. Its price is comparable to the cost of a new three-bedroom home. But in human lives saved and repaired, its value is limitless. This is the heart-lung machine. Its development has opened new latitudes in heart surgery. In closed heart surgery, with a finger or an instrument inside the beating heart, the surgeon must go by feel alone. This closed method has been in use for many years, 
and for some conditions it is still the method of choice. However, a great many heart conditions cannot be corrected by closed heart surgery. Only with the development of the heart-lung machine has correction of many of these conditions become possible. Today, the surgeon can open up the heart, empty it entirely of blood, and under direct vision make unhurried repairs of valves or other defects inside the heart. Exactly what does the heart-lung machine do? Its purpose is to function temporarily as a heart pump and to oxygenate the blood and rid it of gaseous waste. In surgery, after the heart has been exposed, plastic tubes from the heart-lung machine are inserted into the two great veins that normally carry blood to the heart from the upper and lower parts of the body. Once the hookup is complete, blood destined for the lungs is then cycled into the machine where it is refreshed and returned to the system through another tube inserted into the femoral artery in the groin. Know Your Heart was written and produced by the National Heart Institute, one of the National Institutes of Health of the Public Health Service, United States Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, Washington, D.C. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Killer Matter. <laughs> So I got there too late. The man for whom I was supposed to act as bodyguard lay sprawled awkwardly on the sidewalk in front of his apartment. Yeah, that's Mr. Wilson, all right. Johnny looks like you and your insurance company just lost the client. Hey, get this crowd back. He's still breathing. Come on, get him back. All right. Get mad, Al. Get back, all of you. Get back in the chair. Has anybody sent for a doctor? We got one on the way, Mr. Dollar. How did it happen, McCarthy? Do you know? Well, some kids were playing out here on the sidewalk. A couple of mothers with them. They heard a lot of noise up in Mr. Welton's apartment. Up there on the second floor. What kind of... You see up there where the windows broke out of the frame? Yeah, I see. What kind of noise? Like a big fight, they said. And Mr. Welton yelling for help. He was yelling bloody murder, they said. They hear anybody else? Anything else? No, sir. Not even the dog. You sure? Then all of a sudden, he comes smashing out through the window and lands here on the sidewalk. Have you men been inside here? Yes, sir. Welton went in. Come on, get back. Stay back in that line, will you? He said Mr. Welton's place is an unholy mess, like a big Fight. Any sign of the assailant? No, sir, but the door of his apartment was flung open. So was a back door leading into a court in the alley. Yes, sir, that's what Wilson told me. The fire door can be opened only from the inside. So it looks like whoever did this to Welton made his getaway through the alley. No doubt about it. Well, all I have to say is I hope this man lives. We'll soon find out, sir. Here comes Doc Strader. <laughs> Strader made a quick inspection, then had us take Welton up to his apartment on the second floor. Fortunately, he wasn't hurt badly. No bones were broken. All right, all right, boy. All right, your match is going to be okay. Just lay yourself down your pillow. Well, quite frankly, Mr. Dollar, I think that it's shocked more than anything else. After all, thrown out of a window, even if he did suffer only a few bruises and confusion. Yeah, Doctor, I'm sure it's going to be. How long before I'll be able to talk to him? Well, the sedation I've given him should keep him asleep until... Uh, Oh, say mid-afternoon. After that, uh, you and your chief can question all you want. My chief? Aren't you working under Lieutenant Singer? Yeah. Maybe I am. Randy Singer himself came over and took charge. While John Welton slept, he and his men closed off the alley and went over with a fine tooth comb. Meanwhile, since Welton had all the police protection he could possibly need, and then some, I went out and grabbed the final lunch. The Phantom 2, 175. Then I took a cab, item 3, a dollar even, to the alley off First Avenue, where Welton had witnessed the murder the week before. 
Just why, I don't know. But I'm sure glad I did. Yeah. Because of a crew working on the streetlights who came up with some rather interesting information. I'll tell you what I mean later. In any event, it led to item four a dime for a phone call. You know, a fellow in my business has to have some rather strange contacts. My call was to one of them. To a man Lieutenant Randy Singer would have known by name, at least. Would probably have liked to get his hands on. Or, more to the point, would like to have had some concrete evidence against for, uh, well, for another thing. My contact's name was Spencer Joe Sullivan. Ex-counterfeiter, ex-bootlegger, burglary suspect, numbers racket. A man who's been picked up on more petty charges than you can possibly think of. Yeah, in a city with an underworld the size of New York, a man like Smokey's good to know. On occasion. Smokey? Yeah. This is Johnny Dollar. Yeah. How would you like to pick up a fast hundred bucks? Johnny Dollar, huh? That's right. How do I know? I'll be standing in the lobby of the hotel Lexington. Come on over and see for yourself. Well? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. There's any coppers around here. Oh, come on, Smokey. You know me better than that. Yeah? I'll see you in the lobby of the Lexington. Item five, a dollar ten for taxi over to the Lexington, where I waited. An hour, two hours. No sign of smoke. Then suddenly I realized why. There must have been somebody important there in the hotel, for outside of the curb was a police car with a man in a uniform at the wheel. No wonder Smokey hadn't shown. I sauntered out to Third Avenue, started around the block. Sure enough, at the first newsstand, a figure that had been hiding behind a newspaper fell in step with me. What took you so long to spot that copper sitting out front, Johnny? Now, look, Smokey, I asked you if you'd like to pick up a fast Fino. Depends, Johnny. I need some information. What kind of information, Johnny? You been taking any bets on the horses lately? Guy has to make an honest buck now and then. Have you been working through the syndicate? Now, Johnny, you know you don't ask questions like that. But if the information I want is in the books of the syndicate, you don't want me to play Sully. You know me better than that. Okay. Ask me questions. Yeah. It's 20, 20, 50. You said it's Dino's. You get the rest when you get the dope for me, if there's any to get. Okay. Go ahead. Ask me. All right. I want to know how much money, if any. I may be playing the wrong. Okay, Johnny. If I find out anything, sir. You call me on the phone again. Maybe 3 30, 4 o'clock. And Smokey. Yeah? If there is such information to be had, and you get it, maybe I'll double that fee. Okay, Johnny. Johnny Dollar in a moment. Times have changed, and so has the man. Thaddeus Rode, in the year 1861, organized what has been considered the first airborne reconnaissance unit of the United States Army. His craft? A balloon, which was in constant use during the Battle of Richmond, making observations every 15 minutes. But because of the balloon's limited maneuverability and extreme vulnerability, 
military thinking and interest soon switched to the heavier-than-aircraft experiments being conducted by the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Finally, in 1909, the Army accepted the Wright brothers' 42-and-one-half-mile-per-hour aircraft. Contrast this with the faster-than-sound aircraft, the supersonic speeds of our modern planes. Contrast the skills, the technological know-how of the modern airman with that of the pioneers. You'll agree, I'm sure, that times have changed, and so has the man. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Killer Matter. Expense account item 6.95 cents for a cab back to John R. Welton's apartment on East 53rd. Randy Singer's boys have found no clue to the identity of Welton's attack. Welton himself is beginning to stir. Let's go out to him any minute now, Johnny. Okay, good. Hello, now get down. Get down, boy. <laughs> go lay on your pillow. <laughs> no, incidentally, we found the gun that was used in the murder he witnessed last week. Oh, where? Like you said, in the storm drain near that alley on First Avenue. Oh. Yeah, but no print. No print. Randy, I didn't think there would be. What time is it? Uh, 3.51. Why? Let me make a phone call. Oh, the phone's right over there. Hey, Wilton's coming through. Hey, well, what, what is this? What, what goes on here? Uh, it's all right, Mr. Wilton. You're going to be okay. Uh, oh, uh, police. That's right. Yeah. Got a phone. Uh, thank you. I, I beg you. I... Yeah, I'm afraid we got yeah. here a little too late, but you're going to be okay. The doc says so. That man, the man who attacked me. The same one you talked about the murder? Yes. Yes. Smokey, this is Johnny Dollar. Johnny. Dollar. Yeah? What? 23,400... 23,400... Yeah, I got it. Good boy. What? What did he say about... Now, meet you at the Lexus at 60 Ammons. Okay, okay, the newsstand. Mr. Dollar, what did you say about... about... The... Yeah, Johnny, what goes? Funny. How would you like to make an arrest? Arrest? That's right, Randy. Of the man who killed that bookie. When you... Got... You, you know who he is? Yeah, well, I sure do. And, Randy, I'm ashamed of you. What? <laughs> now, listen, Johnny, this will you... This really deserves the credit. Hmm? Good boy. Yeah. Now, down, down. Johnny, what under the sun are you talking about? The night of that murder. Welton says the pup chewed a hunk out of the killer's pants. Yes, yes, he, he was trying to defend me. You say that killer struck you, Welton. He did. But he made no move to hurt the dog. Well, now, believe me, that doesn't make sense. He would have put a bullet in him even before he struck you. Now, Mr. Dollar... What about this so-called fight here in your apartment a couple of hours ago? It was the same man. Yeah. And did the dog attempt to fight him off? No. Because there was nobody for him to fight. Johnny, you think he wouldn't have been heard down in the street if somebody really clobbered you? Well, he... You faked this attack on you, Welton, to make it look like the killer was somebody else. Too bad you didn't break your neck when you jumped out that window. Now, you don't know what you're talking about. Another thing. And this is where you missed the bet, Randy. Yeah? Over on First Avenue, I checked with a crew from the electric company. They finally got around to fixing that street light. Huh? Yeah. That light's been out for nearly three weeks. So how could Welton have seen another man in that alley well enough to make a positive identification? Now listen, Dollar. Shut up, Welton. Then my phone call just now. Randy, Welton was in hot to that bookie he murdered. To the tune of 23,000 bucks. He threatened me. He said he'd kill me if I didn't pay him. 
I had to kill him. If I hadn't killed him, he... <sighs> Breaks my heart, Johnny, but thanks. Okay, Welton, up on your feet. <laughs> $765 even for a night on the town. Uh, Randy needed some relaxation. Item 8, 200 bucks to Smokey Joe Sullivan. Expense account total, including a trip back to Hartford, $315.17. And, uh, don't forget that two grand you promised me. After all, Welton's still alive. For a while, at least. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote today's story. Heard in our cast were Edgar Berrier, Herb Vigran, James McCallion, Paul Dubov, Lawrence Dobkin, John Boehner, Bill James, and Vic Perrin. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Earl, how are you? Great, great. Tell me, do you remember the Lucky Four Ranch? Well, if you're talking about the one out in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado. That's the one I'm talking about. Well, sure. That's where you and I and Ray... Ray... What's his name? Ray Smithney. Yeah, Ray Smithney, who owns the Lucky Four. You and he and I investigated the death of that concert pianist. That's right. Also, we had some real fine trout fishing up in 11 Mile Canyon. Cherry Lake? Yes, old Bill Cherry Lake. Only it isn't there anymore. Oh, oh that's too bad. Old Bill isn't around anymore either. Well, what's happened to him? According to all the information, he was killed when the dam broke and sent his farmhouse crashing down into the valley below. Oh, gee, that's too bad. Uh, I have a claim for his insurance right here on my desk. I'll send a copy of the policy to you there at the lucky four. Hey, wait a minute. There's something wrong, Earl. That's what I want you to find out. What makes you think something's wrong? A phone call I just got from Ray Smishney. Said he's found a couple of things that make him think the breaching of that dam was 
Okay, Earl. I'll grab the first plane I can. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Accounts submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company Attention Earl Foreman. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Lucky Four matter. Expense account item one, three dollars and a quarter. Phone call to Ray Smithney to tell him I was on my way. Item two, eighty-one seventy air transportation to Colorado Springs. Ray met me at Peterson Field, the municipal airport. Well, glad you could make it, Johnny. Yeah, good to see you again, Ray. How are things with the lucky four? Oh, just fine. Our best season ever. Here, we'll shove your bags in the back seat. Okay, good. Go ahead now, hop in. Yeah, sure. All right. Now, what's this about your thinking old Bill Cherry's death was no accident? Johnny, I'd better give you the whole story. You remember Cherry Lake, don't you? Sure. I remember taking a couple of nice trout out of it on a silver doctor. Or uh, was it a royal coach? Well, you didn't meet old Bill because he was away at the time. Actually, we were kind of poaching when we fished up there. Oh? If he'd suddenly come back and caught us, he'd probably have filled our hides with birdshot. And here I always thought you were on the side of law and order. He was a kind of ornery old cuss, but in spite of it, we got along pretty well. Even after he put in that dam. How'd the dam affect you? Three Mile Creek used to water some of my property before he put it in. Some of the others down below, too. Oh, I see. But now what happened? Johnny, old Bill's little plot of farmland is up around the 9,000-foot level, you know. Yeah, I know. So the snowpack melts down pretty late. That meant a big summer flow of water into his lake. Yeah. And what about when some of your big summer rains come pouring down? And it was during one of the big rains a couple of weeks ago, one night it was, that the dam gave way. Johnny, that thing busted loose like an explosion. And what was left of old Bill's house came tumbling down on the Lucky Four property. And old Bill? Oh, we found his body in the wreckage. Oh, hold on. I'm going to take my favorite shortcut and get away from the highway traffic. Sure. But now, Earl Foreman told me you seem to think that dam didn't give way by itself. Well, I did in the beginning. Everybody did. And why not? Homemade dam, more water in the lake than ever before, more water pouring down out of the sky to fill it up. Big storm. Maybe it was even hit by lightning. But now, Johnny... I went up there and poked around a couple of days ago. First chance I've had since the rain quit. Now, what did you find? A couple of things I want you to look at. What kind of things, Ray? Now, they may not mean a thing, Johnny, any more than who's the beneficiary of old Bill's insurance. Which reminds me. Did Earl send me something in the mail? Oh, yeah, a, a big envelope, Johnny, and I opened it by mistake. It was supposed to contain a copy of Bill Cherry's policy. It did. And when I looked at it and saw who the beneficiary is... Hey... Sounds to me like you need a tune-up, buddy. That's funny. Let's stop and take a look, huh? Yeah, why not? Uh, you say that when you saw who the beneficiary is... Oh, a worthless nephew of Bill's who hangs around the pool rooms in Colorado Springs. He's been in a couple of scrapes with the law. Oh, here. Let me see if I can open this book. There. Maybe the catch is stuck. I got it. Anyhow, I've always felt this Tommy Walker wouldn't stop short of murder if he thought it. 
Oh, good. And holy, Ray! Hey, look at all those crazy wires. No wonder she was missing. You didn't put that wiring in there? Are you kidding? Wait, come on, hit the deck, huh? Come on, on the side of the road, back of this rock. What? What's the matter? All right, get down fast. What's got into you, Johnny? And, and look. No, what? you look. bomb wired up in there. Yeah, by somebody who meant business. Johnny. By somebody who must have seen you poking around up near Old Bill's Dam. You, you mean... Who must have found out you'd sent for me. What'd you say the name of Old Bill's nephew is? Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Many of us on the job are clock watchers and time clock punchers just waiting for time to quit. When is it really time to quit? The man with a set day of work has a schedule to adhere to. But the fighting man quits only when the job is done. And to him, capture by the enemy does not mean the end, but perhaps only the beginning of the most important part of his job. One of the points of the Code of Conduct for the American fighting man says, quote, If I am captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape and aid others to escape. I will accept... Neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Unquote. The strong ideals set forth there are the same ideals that gave great determination to one young officer of the United States Navy. Half an hour after Lieutenant Edward V.M. Isaac's ship was sunk by three torpedoes in the Atlantic Ocean in May 1918 at the height of World War I, he was taken prisoner by the commander of the German submarine U-90. During the U-boat's trip back to Germany, Lieutenant Isaac learned a great deal of vital secret information about U-boat movements. Determined to make this information available to the United States and allied naval authorities, Lieutenant Isaac, while on his way to a prisoner of war camp, risked his life by jumping through the window of a rapidly moving train. Severely injured by his fall, he was again captured. Months later, aided by several American Army officers who short-circuited the prison lighting system, Lieutenant Isaac escaped through barbed wire fences and amid heavy rifle fire from the guards. After seven days and nights of rugged travel over the mountains and with only raw vegetables for food, he swam the swift current of the Rhine River right under the noses of the enemy sentries. Evading many enemy soldiers, he reached the American legation in Bern, Switzerland, and completed his self-assigned mission. For risking his life many times above and beyond the call of duty, Lieutenant Edward Isaac was awarded the Medal of Honor. His personal code of conduct had made him realize that war doesn't end with confinement as a prisoner of war. That is when the real responsibility may begin. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the lucky four matters. It was the driver of a big interstate moving van that came to our rescue after Ray's car blew up. He'd seen the explosion from the highway, seen one of the fenders flying through the air. Yeah, somehow those big truckers are always around to give you a hand. He drove us into Colorado Springs. Item three, 50 bucks, deposit on a rental car, and we headed east on Highway 24 to Green Mountain Falls. The lucky four is on a level spot on the side of a mountain, about half a mile up from the highway. Six or eight nice modern cottages share a beautiful view of pikes and several other high peaks that surround colorful view paths. I dumped my luggage, said hello to Ray's pretty wife, Lee, and we headed up a narrow wagon trail up the side of the mountain in Ray's Jeep. 
Here, Johnny. That truck driver gave me this souvenir. Hey, looks like a piece of the wiring we found under the hood before your car blew up. That's what it is. Now, look. You see there where Three Mile Creek bounces down over the rocks? That's uh, quite a flow there, Ray. And I see that it goes on down through your property again. Just like it did before old Bill put on his dam. Of course, I don't really need the water, not as much as Ralph Kimball, at least. Who's Kimball? A property next to mine. Retired man. Used to be a math or physics prof or something. Nice neighbors? Oh, he keeps to himself. He and his wife. Hornery old cuss, like old Bill. They have no use for each other. Didn't like interference. Now, you see that clearing up ahead? Yeah? That's where old Bill's home used to be, huh? Yeah. Before the water dumped it down on my place. Kindling. That's about all that was left of it. You still haven't told me what you found up here. Well, one thing I found down below on his body, gripped tight in his hand, sort of a, a death grip, I guess it was. Yeah. Cigarette package. El Perro cigarettes. That's a Cuban brand. Is that what he smoked? No, sir. He never smoked in his life. Wouldn't even have the things on his plate. Do you see what I mean? Well, I don't think that's much of a clue. Well, what I figure, Johnny, that is, after what else I found, is that he caught somebody prowling around his dam, maybe struggled with him, and that's how come the cigarette package. Whoa, whoa now, Ray, back off. Whatever else you found up here, it better be more conclusive than that. All right. Look here. Here's where the dam was, between these big rocks. What kind of a dam? Concrete, with planks across. Oh, yeah. I can see where cement is still stuck to them. Hmm. Here's some dynamite, too. You can see the mark where he drilled the pack in the stuff. That's my clue number one, Johnny. He didn't use any dynamite. He was afraid of it. Also, I'd have known. I'd have heard it go off while he was building his dam. But somebody... Yeah, there. somebody, all right. Look at this. Plastered on this rock. A piece of label? Plastered on the rock by the force of that explosion. It says... Titan Super IXL Dynamite. Johnny, he wouldn't even have the stuff around. Another thing. It's a brand you can only get in one little store in Denver, and he'd never go there. He hated the place. Yeah, you said the dam went like an explosion. Yes, sir. And of course, with all the thunder and lightning that night, who could be sure which was which? Oh, well, chances are lightning wouldn't reach down here, Ray, with all the high peaks around. That's what first hit me, Johnny. Come on. Let's go into Colorado Springs and find this nephew of old Bill's. Tommy Walker. Yes, sir, Johnny. Being the beneficiary and all, who else could it be? Ray, I'm with you. Doesn't look to me like there'd be any cheap pool halls in this part of town. No, but up ahead's the Ace High radio shop. That's where Tommy was working last I heard. Ah. Can you think of anything better to tie in with the way that infernal machine was wired into the hood of your car? Holy smoke, Johnny, you're right. But, well, what I don't understand is, is how come it didn't go off the second I turned on the ignition? Oh, may I help you, gentlemen? Some kind of timing device. I think whoever said it wanted to get me, too. Yes, sir, gentlemen. That, that means right. he knew you'd be in the car with me on the way back from the airport. That's right. <clears throat> gentlemen. Oh, uh, we're looking for Tommy Walker. Uh, oh, don't mention that no good. Then I take it he isn't here. Oh, two days he lasted. If you ask me, it was two days too long. Well, you had trouble with him, Mr. Oh, no, no, no trouble. No, nothing. That was the trouble. Answered my ad in the paper, said he knew all about radios and electronics. He could fix anything. Well, dumb, lazy lot. He didn't know anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't know the difference between a fuse and a vacuum tube. 
Never even heard of a transistor, much less know what a circuit was. Yeah, well... All he knew about a radio was how to turn the knobs. Oh, and the music that guy was doing. Well, now, me, I like the yeah, guy. Yeah, well, now, look, And we... that boy was so dumb, he couldn't even attach the wires to a plug properly. You sure that... All he wanted was a place where he could sit around smoking those smelly Cuban cigarettes and listening to trashy music. Cuban cigarettes, Johnny, that pack I, I found. Yeah. Like that. Mr., uh... In my life. As long as I'm here, I wonder if you could sell me a hunk of wire like... <laughs> like this piece. Certainly, sir. Oh, this? No, I have nothing like that. I see. And you're sure Tommy didn't know anything about electricity? Oh, of course I'm sure. Look, when I told him once to open up the back of a telephone... Come on, Ray. The darn fool, he would have electrocuted himself if I hadn't been that gentleman. Johnny, if he's telling the truth... He is, Ray. Come on, we're going back to the ranch. Well, but... Why, Johnny? It's worked before, and I hope and pray it'll work again. Ray, I'm going to play a hunch. Johnny Dollar in a moment. And now for another episode in the life of Sergeant Donald Bellwether, my husband. Oh, hmm, Donald, it's your pouring, isn't it? Can you see all right? Oh, yeah, I can see. Those windshield wipers are operating with mechanical perfection. You notice there are no more streaks either since I put on the new rubber blade. You know, I think every driver should have his windshield wipers in good order. It's much safer. It would be much safer if everyone would slow down during wet weather like my husband is doing right now. <laughs> Just being cautious, Reba. We don't want an accident in this downpour. We don't want an accident anytime. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, the experts say that accidents just don't happen. Something causes accidents, and that cause can be prevented. Uh, by the way, dear... In what kind of weather do you think most accidents occur? Oh, I'd say in rain or snowy weather or slippery weather when visibility is impaired. That's the wrong answer, dear. Wrong? Hey, are, you, are you serious? Statistics show that eight out of ten accidents occur when the weather is clear or with a cloudy overcast. Hmm. Are you positive? I wonder why. But, oh, here's our husband. Oh, yeah. Now. You sit right here, Reba. I'll get out with the umbrella, and then I'll come around and open your door. All right, honey. I wonder why. Wonder why what? Why eight out of ten accidents happen in clear weather. Oh, well, I don't know for sure, Sergeant. But I do know that you drove very carefully tonight in the rain. Thanks. Now, if everyone drove as carefully during clear, dry weather, there'd be less accidents, I'm sure. Hey, that must be it. People automatically get cautious in the rain and snow. Hmm. Too bad they don't stay that way in good weather. You will, won't you? I mean, drive safely in good weather, too? I promise. Oh, that's my Donald. That's my doll. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Lucky Four Matters. Back at the Lucky Four, Ray's wife, Glee, made us a couple of sandwiches and some coffee. We'd kind of forgotten about lunch. But I looked over the insurance policy that Earl Foreman had sent on to me. Yeah, Tommy Walker was the only beneficiary. But, and this was the important part, he was due to receive the munificent sum of $1,000. And that's all. That's all? 
You mean he'd kill his uncle for a thousand dollars? I don't think so, please. Well, and yet, if Tommy is the only one to benefit. Ah, uh, listen, Ray. You told me right off the bat you hadn't liked the idea of old Bill putting that dam out there. Tommy. Tommy, no. That is. Well, none of us liked it. What do you mean by us? Well, none of us. The, the Kimballs and, and us. Only because it kept the creek from coming down here. He made a diversion when he put in that dam. But after I put in the pumps, we've had plenty of water. And I'd have had to put in the pumps anyway. Ah. Uh, you ever use dynamite around here, Ray? Sure. Most everybody does one time or another. In this whole section, use it to clear the land. Johnny, that Listen, means... Johnny, I don't know what you're driving at. Most everybody does, huh? Yes. Have you ever used that particular brand? Titan Super IXL? No, sir. Never in my life. But you knew where to get it. <laughs> Everybody does, Johnny. Johnny, please. Everybody, huh? Yes. Including Ralph Kimball next door? Miss... Mr. Kimball? Huh? Yeah. Maybe I'd better go over and talk to him, huh? They, they're... They're not at home. Went to Denver this morning early, but Johnny... How do you know? She told me they were going. She dropped in last night, and she told me, and I said Ray was going, too, to meet Johnny. Me. Johnny, look. She dropped in here very often. Well, only since the dam broke, and... Well, they weren't too friendly before, but now... Well, Physics, we... Professor, huh? Electronics. Good Lord, Johnny. I'm going over and take a look around. Oh, dear. I... I'll go with you, Johnny. Ray had minimized the problem he'd had when the dam was put in. Maybe his next-door neighbor hadn't. Kimball had kept to himself, Ray said. It was very much like old Bill Cherry, an ornery sort of cuss who didn't like interference. And old Bill's dam had certainly interfered with Kimball's water supply. We started our search in the workshop back at Kimball's house. Here it is, Johnny. Take a look. Titan Super IXL. Yeah, look here, Ray. This rock bill the same size as the one used up on the dam? Sure is, Johnny. Yeah. If we can find some of it. Yeah. Yeah, this is it, all right. Same kind of wire that was on the bomb under the hood of my car. Pretty good evidence, if you ask me. And here. El Peril, the same brand as the cigarette package you found clutched in old Bill's hand. But listen, Johnny. Yeah? This is only what you'd call circumstantial evidence. But if there's enough of it. Listen. Yeah? Maybe you underplayed it. Maybe you were pretty sore about that dance. Well, of course I was. And so was Kimball. We threatened to sue, Johnny. He, he threatened a lot of things, but that doesn't... All right. All right. Call that the motive. Now, this evidence, this rock drill. But a lot of people use them, maybe even this same size. And this wire, the same kind used to hook up that bomb. But, well, most anybody could get wire like that, I think. The point is, he has it, and the right brand of dynamite. Well, anybody who knows that store up in Denver... That's for hooking up that infernal machine. Kimball was a physics professor, electronics. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Did he know about your private shortcut to Denver? Yes. Yes, Johnny, I told him one time. He also knew when you and I would be on that road. We had told his wife. She probably told her why I was coming here. Yes, that's true. Kimball and his wife left for Denver early this morning. And look, Johnny. Huh? The mud on these boots here in the corner. The same gray silk you find only up around Cherry Lake. Yeah. And if that doesn't prove it... But, Johnny, it's all circumstantial. But it'll hold up in court. What? Seven points of similarity, Ray. That'll stand up in any court in the land. But even if... Even if. Because what the law calls seven points of similarity, as any mathematician can tell you, will occur only once in 38 billion times. 
That's true? That's true. And that's what's going to hang Mr. Kimball. That, Mr. Dollar, is not true. Kimball! Oh, now, surely you're not going to be foolish enough to use that thing, Kimball. You've left me no alternative now that you found out. Now, now look, Mr. Kimball. All right, Shpizny. Dollar, if you want to do any praying, do it fast. What? Yes, Mildred. Ray's wife. Ray's wife. Yes, she's coming over here with a shotgun. Shotgun, eh? Well, she's too late. Oh, no, she isn't. Stay right where you are, Mr. Kimball. Move it, you'll help me. I'll pull it. Oh, that was too close, Johnny. Yeah. Shall we join the ladies? to the authorities now, the courts. And I don't think there's much doubt about the outcome. Kimball's attempt to kill us was a clincher. As for Tommy Walker, the heir, well, you'll have to pay him off on old Bill's policy. Expense account total, including the trip back to Hartford, $224.95. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs>